0: a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure and now with this week's episode your host clinical psychologist dr Nazanin moali hey there welcome to episode 89 of sexology podcast i'm your host dr Nazanin moali i wanted to start this show with giving a shout out to two of our wonderful listeners Arthropod from Canada and CycleFG from US. Thank you so much for the review reviews that you guys wrote at Apple Podcast. I'm very grateful that you guys are listeners and loyal listeners of this show. And for the rest of you, it will be super helpful to this show if you write us an honest review in iTunes or Stitchers. It helps us rank higher in Apple and we can reach a broader audience. So today we're going to be a solo episode. We're going to talk about low sexual desire or low libido. This is one of those topics that I see often in my private practice. Many men and women who are coming into my practice or they're coming with their partners to my practice is because they feel that they struggle with low libido. We're going to talk about what are some of the common factors that contribute to low libido. Why do you need to address it if this is what's going on, where it is coming from, and we're going to talk about some tips and solutions that you can use in order to increase your libido if that's something you're interested in. So I want you to think about how often you feel like you're having sex based on your desire, because many of my clients, many of my friends even, they're telling me that they have uh, sex from the sense of obligation. They don't want to hurt their partner. They don't want to reject the partner. They know in a quote unquote good marriage, people are having sex. But if you don't feel desire when you're having sex, how much do you miss it? So I think it's important to think about it. How was it like when you were having sex, when you were experiencing desire? How how was it different? So I want you to kind of be curious about it. I want you to think about when did this like kind of low lack of desire started. Is it something that started after a period of your life, like for example, after you got married or after having a traumatic experience, or is it something's acquired? So something that happened later in life. Is it just specific in one situation that you're not experiencing desire? For example, I have clients that they have no issues with desire with use of pornography, but with their like partner, they just don't want to have sex. That, so that's one of the other things it's important to think about. So let's start with talking about what is low desire? When I talk about low desire, it's important to think about what are we comparing it to, right? Because at times for example, when I do couple sex therapy, one of the partners coming in and saying that fix my partner, she has low desire or he has low desire, but we're saying that on its own, it's not necessarily an issue, right? Because if it's not, if they are in a relationship with some someone else with the same level of desire and libido. That might not be a challenge. So it's important to think about, is it a mismatch libido? So your partner may be having higher desire and you're having lower desire baseline, or it's something that's compared to where you were, it's lower. One way that at a time I tell my client to kind of assess about the desire level, I'll tell them, kind of imagine you're on vacation. There's no stressor going on how often you would want to have sex? How often do you think you would feel desire? Some people say maybe once a day. Sometimes people say once a week and other partner might be saying once every other week. And I ask this question often in front of the partner because I think that it's important to kind of like Highlight what's going on there in front of the couples because at times, even when one of the partners hear the answer, gets shocked. So I would, even if I'm in the perfect paradise, I wouldn't want to have sex every day. So it's important to kind of assess, is it mismatched libido or it is low desire? Because if it's mismatched libido and you always been at this baseline of low desire, you might not even has it might ha- not have been an issue for you, so you might have less motivation for working on it. And I think desire is something similar to your appetite for food, right? So if usually you get hungry maybe three, four times during the day, that might not change if like it's not something you want to change and you can get hungry all the time. So again, it's part of it is physiological, part of it is psychological. Also, it's kind of an average, I ask people kind of like, on average, your lifetime, how was your desire like, unless it's a lifelong challenge? Because at time, people say, you know, there was this period of time, I was in Burning Man, I had like sex with 10 different people in the same day. So that wouldn't count. It's like comparing it to being in a restaurant saying that, you know, I was at this fancy great buffet with all kind of delicious food, and I was eating for four hours nonstop. Well, that wouldn't be a good indicator of your appetite. So similar with sex. So it's important to kind of think about where is your baseline overall. As far as clinically, you know, in one of the books that many of the psychologists, psychiatrists use called DSM, in most recent a version of DSM, which is a diagnostic, psychological diagnostic book for psychologists and psychiatrists, it lists usually all sorts of mental health diagnosis. So we certainly have female sexual interest arousal disorder as one of the diagnosis. So it can be a, a problematic at the point that you can get medical or psychiatric diagnosis for it. So some of the categories for, for people who would meet this criteria would be absence or reduced interest in sexual activities. So they don't want to have sex, uh, they avoid having sex, absence or reduce sexual or erotic thoughts or fantasies. And I generally think this second criteria is more important than first one in a sense that sometimes people might not want to have sex because of range of different stressors they have, what's been going on in their life, But I think kind of assessing where are you with your erotic thoughts and fantasies gives us a more accurate kind of assessment of whether it is a low desire issue or not. The other thing is absent or reduced initiation of sexual activity and typically being non-responsive to the partner's attempt to initiate sexual activity. One model of desire that we're going to talk about it later today talks about how some people have more circular model of response for when it comes to their sexuality and desire. For example, they might not feel desire initially, but when the partner starts presenting sexual stimuli, foreplaying... Their desire might resurface, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just one kind of one kind of experiencing sexual arousal or desire. So talking about that wouldn't be the case. Absent or reduced sexual interest or arousal in response to internal or external sexual or erotic stimuli. So watching porn, you know, reading erotica, those things might not do it for them as well an absent or reduced genital or non-genital sensation during sexual activity 75 to 100% of sexual encounters and i think this it's important to kind of highlight this last category that the last criteria because at times people are telling me you know they kind of panic like you know last time we had sex i didn't experience arousal or just like last month i was struggling it says like 75 to 100% of time. So it doesn't talk about once or twice. This is, this is something that you need to have it for a while. So you can say like it, it is problematic. But again, I think if this is something that you're struggling with or you, you experience it as a problem, although it might not meet the criteria for diagnosis, still can be an issue. So I guess next question that I hear often is people want to know how common it is. It's actually very common. It's one of the most common issues. I was looking at statistic, and it showed that approximately 20% of men And 33% of women are affected by it. So if you're thinking about the general population, that's a huge number. Can you imagine like 33% of women are struggling with it, which was kind of mind-blowing for me because I knew it was common, but I didn't know it's this common. So something else about sexual arousal, kind of low sexual desire is kind of exploring where is the cause of this issue? Could be a number of different reasons. And this is why I like treating this disorder, because part of it is almost like a detective work. I'm going to go through the different causes. It's not one of those things that like when people, someone coming to you say, oh, but this is the cause, this is the solution. It's important to do kind of thorough psychological interview assessment to see what contributes the, to this challenge. One of the reasons could be kind of feeling and belief that the person have around sexual intimacy. For example, feeling of shame around sex. Part of it could be coming from the culture. I know I talked about it in the past that I grew up in a conservative community. My family wasn't necessarily conservative, but one of the teaching that was like you know for preventing women especially from having sex the idea was like you know using the scare tactic and the hope was when the person gets married out of blue this feeling of shame and frustration around sexuality gets disappear but in reality we already by the time we are in a committed relationship As an adult, we internalize all these negative messages around sexuality, feeling of shame around it, feeling that's dirty, that's sin, and the fact that you signed a paper that might not change it. So I guess part of it, it's like, what did you learn from the society? So it can be very deep rooted from your family of origin, like how conservative they were, what kind of a sex education you got. So that's part of that. One thing that I wanted to talk about before telling you about the second common route of people experiencing low sexual desire is the dual control model of sexual desire. So based on this model, it talks about how we have sexual excitation route and sexual inhibition. The way I explain it to my client oftentimes is that it's like you're in a car you have a brick and you have a gas pedal. So there are things that are exciting for you, like things in the environment that's erotic and exciting, like seeing a kind of pornography movie, seeing your partner naked, seeing things that are kind of excites you. And there are a number of different things that cause the brick to get activated. For example, feeling of Fatigue, feeling of anxiety, stress, relational problems, childcare problems, all of those things can be breaks that might stop you from kind of enjoying sex. So, my experience, and I know I looked into literature and which is congruent with the current literature, is that. Most people, the issue is not lack of sexual exciting material in the environment. the issue is having too much break so the, like if the brakes are on, it will be hard for you to experience desire. so as I talked about fatigue, breastfeeding, menopause, a lots of different issues can cause the brakes to get activated. The other factor could be mood-related challenges or mental health challenges. These are one of my favorites. So as psychologists, at times I get clients that are coming in, because I know I do sex therapy. So they're telling me, you know, this is going on, this is what's it, what, how I'm experiencing kind of sex and how I struggle with low sexual desire. And when we do the assessment, when we really get into what's going down with slowdown, we realize the main challenge is that they're struggling with mental health challenges. For example, if you're depressed, The break is on, so you will not be able to enjoy sex the same amount that you were enjoying. I was working with this man and he was coming to me because like, you know, sex is not enjoyable for me. I don't feel uh, sexual excitement anymore. What's wrong with me? He did all this like hormonal tests and everything. And when we were kind of assessing about what was going on, I, I realized that he was depressed. And one of the symptoms of depression is kind of low libido. So we started working with helping him with lifting his depression. As soon as he felt better, the sexual desire came back. And that's why I think it's important to work with a mental health provider versus a sex coach. Again, a sex coach might be worse in kind of t- tips and tricks around helping you with your sexual desire but the issue could be completely something else. One other common mental health that I see is related to low sexual desire as OCD. So if you have obsessive compulsive disorder, that can, can get in the way of uh, you experiencing arousal because like, the symptoms, might the obsessional thoughts might get activated during sex, and it can be one of those uh, stops. And breaks can which can take you away from what's going on in the moment and you might experience low sexual desire. Something else, oh, on the side note, I wanted to let you know that I'm doing this huge series on common mental health challenges and its relationship with our sexuality. So I just record one on sex and bipolar, sex and depression, sex and OCD, a number of different things, because I feel it is important to kind of know, first of all, what each of these um, mental health challenges look like, and more importantly, how are they impacting our sexuality? So stay tuned for that. Another common challenge could be relationship issues. It's hard to want to have sex when you uh, you don't like your partner. I always make a joke with my partners when they're coming in with couples that, you know, they have lots of relational uh, relationship challenges when they talk about like issues around sex. I tell them, of course, you would not want to have sex with someone that you have so much resentment, unresolved issues. So relationship issues can cause sexual problems. These are the cases I often refer out to help them to first work with a couple's therapist so can they can sort out the uh, relationship piece of things and after they're done with that, they come in for uh, sex therapy to me. Other possibility that might impact your desire is various medication. It is so interesting that like you know so many people they don't know about side effects of their medication, for example, many antidepressants. One of the side effects is low sexual desire, lack of orgasm, and with just changing of a medication, the issue can completely get resolved. The same with substance abuse and also some drugs. So if you're using some drugs, it's important to kind of be aware of its implication to with your sexuality. Some of the drugs can make your vaginal wall dry. Some of them kind of reduce the sensation. So you might not be able to reach orgasm easily. I just uh, record an interview with a psychologist that this is his specialty, kind of impact of substances on our sexuality. So that's something else we're going to cover in future episodes. The other thing is hormonal imbalance. So the first thing that I do when I get a client that's struggling with low uh, libido is just send them for uh, to make sure we are ruling out physiological, like hormonal imbalance. For example, a guy that I saw initially, like I saw him for a couple of sessions, I sent him to get tested for his testosterone level because he was telling me that past couple years... He hasn't experienced any desire, which is very odd given his history. So what we did, it was like, I, I sent him to get tested. He came back, his testosterone level was super low His physician prescribed testosterone for him. He got injections. And after a while, there's just no issues with desire. So it was purely physiological for him. So I guess it's important to kind of assess whether the issue is medical or not. The same for female, as I mentioned, after menopause, many of my clients telling me that uh, sex becomes painful for them and they can, you can go to the gynecologist and they can give you creams that can easily address that issue. So it's one of those easier way of kind of addressing the challenge. Again, it certainly can be combination of things, but again, it's important to kind of rule out the medical piece of it. The last thing I wanted to talk about is again, toxic communication between couples. So if you're, if the communication with your partner is toxic, if you guys are criticizing each other, if you guys are defensive, it's hard to be vulnerable with your partner. And part of sexuality is showing your vulnerable side. And all of these kind of communication challenges can get in the way of being able to truly tune into your partners and making sure that you've been seen and you're seeing the partner truly. So that's something else that might lead to a low libido. So there are different ways that you can address this challenges. So I'm going to talk about some of the suggestion that I have again, Talking to your physician about hormonal changes is, is a good first step. But again, as we talked about in previous episodes, it cannot. many of the physicians, they don't know about sex therapy. So they're very skilled in helping you with figuring out the medical piece. But as far as psychological help, you might be better off going to a therapist. So one thing that I want you to keep in mind is like, you know, sex is not perfect, no one is out there having a having sex at every time they're experiencing this firework and wonderful and people are tim- simultaneously reaching orgasm. So if you have this perfectionistic attitude towards sex, you are f- setting yourself for failure. One of my uh, favorite models of healthy sexuality is by psychologist, and he talks about good enough model of sex. So, it's all you need for health having a healthy sexual life is just having a good enough sex. Sometimes it could be amazing, sometimes could be like you know a little bit of exciting or disappointing, and that's okay. Everyone have a little bit of uh. Disappointing sex at time. It doesn't doesn't say anything about you or your relationship. It is how our body works. It's our psychological challenges might cause an issue. So I don't want you to feel you're failing if your sex life is not on the dot every time. The other piece is, which is harder to work on, it is working on your internalized messages about sex. These are the things that I highly recommend to work with a therapist around that, about uh, what are your kind of messages around sexuality? What do you feel about, what? how do you relate to sex and your partner? Uh, what are some of the uh, kind of negative schemas you have around your sexuality? So this is one of those things that the first step would be identifying those. And uh, after that, getting help from a therapist to kind of like helping you to modify those because at times these are so deep-rooted that you cannot change it on your own. The other thing is like cognitive distraction. One of the most common statements I hear from couples is just, you know, in the middle of the sex, I was just so distracted, I was doing my Costco list. You don't need to feel shameful about it. It's a common experience. But if we're completely distracted during sex, we're not tuning into the sexual stimuli and what's going on and sensation of touch and smell and sight, and then you're not going to experience desire. And at times, sex can be painful and disappointing. So one technique for reducing cognitive distraction is practicing mindfulness. There are wonderful apps that help you to kind of address this issue. I know Dr. Lori Brutto was talking about how she successfully used mindfulness with clients with low sexual desire. And she was telling us in one of the previous episodes on how, how she was getting fantastic results from it. Other thing is like identifying your bricks, identifying those things that gets in the way of you experiencing sexual desire. So reducing the stress, having good self-care behaviors, if there is something going on like you know, for example, you're feeling overwhelmed all the time, maybe changing your schedule, like prioritizing things, so you wouldn't constantly being in fight and flight kind of a mode of functioning because if you are in fight and flight, you might not experience and I know you're not going to experience sexual desire. The other thing is at times it's just pure miscommunication or lack of communication. You know, in our society, we learn that uh, sex, sexuality is something that you don't talk about it. So at times, couple sexual scripts are not successfully negotiated. So they don't have this agreement of who, when, where, who going to initiate sex, when they're going to have sex. If you're in a house with little children and you don't have child care, then you might need to be able to schedule sex. So because otherwise, spontaneously, given the circumstances, you might not be ready to have sex in that 10 minutes that your kid is napping. So it's important to kind of have this conversation around what our each partner's sexual script is. The other thing is, this, I feel this is kind of a public announcement that I see is so common in my practice. And at times, just... So easy to fix. So it's creating an erotic environment. So there was this study that was done by Sims and Mina in 2010. They interviewed 19 highly educated women. They were in in marriages and the average length of marriage was 6.52 years. And the average age of participant was 31.5. So they, they were able to talk about they were able to talk about and identified common themes that these women believe led to their reduced desire. First one was just the institution of relationship in marriage. So uh, some of the things they talk about, they talked about when in marriages, uh, the relationship becomes not as erotic. So the over-availability of sex, too much responsibility as, like talking, as we, talk, like we were talking about feeling overwhelmed, having hundreds of things in your to-do list, of course you wouldn't feel desire. And the other one was over-familiarity. This is something that I love when Esther Plaus talks about it. In order to have great sex life, you have to be able to maintain some mystery in the relationship. So if you guys are kind of like, you know, just telling each other everything, going to bathroom in front of each other, there's nothing like uh, remain unknown that can cause issue because in order for us to experience desire, it needs to be some issues with availability, you you might not desire something that's that you already have so there is important to it is important to create a little bit of distance. So there is this kind of illusion of like you're missing things. So one of the solutions, for example, that Esther Pearl recommends is that kind of like trying to see your partners from a different eyes, kind of seeing them when they're at their job or kind of like, you know, creating this scenario to spice things up. If you're having sex, the same position, uh, same time, same same kind of a situation for 20 years, of course you might not experience as much desire. The third one was the desexualized role. So if you are at a caregiver role for your partner, which again, I understand that can be part of life, but then low desire is kind of expected. If your partner is going through a medical kind of problem, if there's something going on that you need to kind of wash, bathe, change your partner, you know that impacts the desire, so it's important to kind of like if that's an issue and if that's something that's important for you guys to delegate some of those things. If you have the means, you can just like hire someone. You know, because again, it's it's wonderful, it's wonderful that you want to do these things to your, with your partner, but if if you are at a caretaker mode, you might not feel desire for the partner. The other thing is how how your partner presents itself in the marriage. Lack of care to the look and the way that they show up in the house every day. It's funny. It might appear shallow, but this is what something else I hear all the time in my practice, that people are telling me that, you know, the way that my partner presents himself or herself in the house I don't experience desire for him or her. One of my favorite stories that I was working with I was working with this couple, and we we're talking about different things that they can do to improve their sex life. And one of the thing is the partner, uh, the female, the wife, turned to the husband. And I said, "You know, I love it when you do this. This, you wear this clothing. You comb your hair. You make your hair look this way." And and she was telling me, my husband's really attractive and I feel he's not taking care of himself. And I was looking at the husband. I was like, very average looking. I was like, you know, probably he's not my type, but okay, I guess like she, she finds him very attractive, which is understandable. It's funny. Next session, the husband came dressing like, you know, wearing what his wife requested, kind of like taking care of himself. And he was looking very handsome. So no wonder the wife's desire dropped for the partner if, you know, like the way that he presented himself during dating time was drastically different than t- the way that he was presenting himself day to day. And again, I'm not saying that every day around the house, you need to look like GQ model or Victoria's Secret model, but it's, it's important to put an effort to look desirable, other recommendation I have is about kind of like if you're taking medication first of all talk to your physician kind of checking in if low desire is a side effect of the medication and secondly if you're taking it for for example for a depression there's so many different ways that you can manage your depression of course you I don't I don't recommend you guys to stop the medication without consulting with physician but things like getting psychotherapy studies shows that can be equally helpful or doing exercise, some kind of physical activity that can help you with kind of reducing anxiety and also doesn't have the same kind of side effect. Again, this is not what I'm recommending. You're stopping the medication. But again, if medication is one of the reasons that you're having the side effects. It's important to kind of look into other methods to manage your uh, mood challenges. This other thing that comes up a lot is my clients telling me feeling uncomfortable with their body. They don't like their body. They, They don't like being naked. The kind of anxiety of being naked in front of another person causes them to feel lack of desire. It's hard to stay in the moment. Very common. Again, many of us constantly bombarded with with this unrealistic pictures of models and people who will not be. For example, I am coming from a Middle background and some of the models, no matter if I don't eat from months, I will not be like a Swedish model with certain kind of body. That's a reality of my genes. So I don't say like it's not my body is worse or better. It's just a reality of who we are. So I think it's important to get comfortable around your body. And again, it's not necessarily mean for only clients that are struggling with eating disorder. Could apply to many people. I know at times, again, just people are not being used to being naked. So one one way that one of my one of the couples I was working with, they were addressing it and it just like I loved the idea. It was so cool. They were they had this naked happy hours. So they had this time that they were undressing and having cocktails together. Again, if that idea is very anxiety provoking, it's just like starting small. Maybe like when you're coming out of shower, uh, walking naked to your closet to get your clothing, Or like, you know, sleeping naked. There's so many different variations of it. If you're feeling courageous, you can maybe uh, start like kind of start with kind of masturbating in front of your partner. That would be another option. Again, I know these are challenging, but again, being able to see that your partner is desiring your body and feeling attractive, all those things are going to make you feel comfortable with your body. The other thing is like, maybe you can think about self stimulation or masturbation. You know, research shows that women are more likely to be orgasmic during intercourse when they had experience stimulating themselves. So, and again, with responsive model of desire, the more sexual desire you're experiencing, the more sexual experiences you have, the level of sexual desire increases. So they're kind of like hands like kind of correlated. So with masturbation, you can kind of cultivate this part of you that can open the door to sexual desires. So again, these are only few suggestions that I have. There are tons of different things out there. I can talk about it like three, four episodes, but again, I want you to kind of maybe choose one of them that you feel it's helpful and give it a shot. But again, some of the issues might be like more complicated. Some issues could be unconscious. And I, I recommend you guys, if you guys are trying and it's not working, definitely consult with a therapist because based on my experience with sexual challenges, some of them can be addressed in only a few sessions. Related to that is I just graduated two of my longer term clients who were sex therapy clients. There's nothing like a joy of helping someone to get connected with their sexuality because not only it helps kind of alleviate the pain around their sexual life, but also it helps their confidence. So right now I have two openings for getting new clients for sex therapy. So if that's something that's on top of your mind, you can give me a call at 310-600-9912, or you can email me and ask me about those appointments and the times and everything related to that. So uh, you can email me at dr. Mooli at sexologypodcast.com. I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.